Welcome back to Cargimentative, your favorite Times Live podcast on which we chat about all things cars and automotive. I'm your host, Thomas Faulkner from the Sunday Times, and uh, this week I'm joined in the virtual studio by Dennis Dropper, editor-at-large at Business Day Motor News. Dennis, how are you? Hi, Thomas. It's uh, great to be back on board the virtual studio and chatting cars and possibly one or two other things. Exactly, exactly. Well, Dennis, thanks again for joining me. Our host, uh, Bren Winadu, was supposed to be here as well, but uh, he's experienced some technical bugs, so he's not going to be here. But uh, yeah, it's that part of the show where we, we get uh, stuck into news. And uh, Dennis, I don't know if you saw, uh, but this morning Porsche announced that you can now order a six-cylinder 718 model with a seven-speed PDK gearbox, which uh, for me is quite a big deal because, I mean, I love the 718 Boxster and Cayman. And as we all know, Porsche have gone back to the six-cylinder naturally aspirated motor on uh, the GTS models and, of course, the Spider and the Cayman GT4. Previously, those were only available with a manual. I believe it was a six-speed manual. I haven't driven those cars yet. But you can now get them with uh, the seven-speed PDK, which I think is uh, possibly the best pairing, which might be quite a controversial thing to say. Uh, I know a lot of us enjoy manual gearboxes, but in a car that good, I found that the PDK is actually better. It actually makes the car... I don't know, more enjoyable to drive on the limit. I don't know what your thoughts are, Dennis. I think the, the purists might be throwing up their hands in horror at this, <laughs> uh, <laughs> at the, this blemish, this blight on the Porsche Cayman landscape. But uh, look, that PDK is a beautiful gearbox, and you're not going to get the same kind of hands-on interaction as you do with a six-speed manual, certainly. But uh, it'll certainly make for a quick accelerating car. Porsche claims that from 0 to 100, it's it's a half second quicker, which is quite substantial. And 0 to 200, it's 0.4 seconds quicker. So certainly you'll have more bragging rights around the bra. And as I said, the, this is a very sweet shifting gearbox, so smooth, and it, it does everything that you expect a two-pedal car to do. But uh, I recently did drive the six-speed manual version, and I, I'm a big fan. Uh, I think I would still potentially have one of those in my garage rather than the two-pedaled version. Interesting. Interesting that you say that. Look, I mean, I haven't driven that car yet. Um, I have driven the previous generation uh, Cayman GT4, which was like a, a honey of a sports car. And it's, it's good that it's got, well, it's good that the new one has got the six-speed manual. Um, I've only sampled the seven-speed manual in modern-day Porsches, and uh, I'm, not, I'm not a big fan. And uh, I think it was last year or the year before uh, we got to drive the... 911T down in the Cape and they had both the manual and the PDK versions and I thought I would prefer the manual but uh, after the test drive I actually found myself enjoying the PDK more just because uh, you know it's a quicker gearbox you can concentrate more on braking and cornering but yeah I guess I'm going to have to drive both versions of uh, the GT4, and uh, yeah, it just gives me a, a chance to do so, you know. But moving on from Porsche, Dennis, I don't know if there's anything else you think is newsworthy that deserves a punt. Since we're speaking of low-flying projectiles, let, let's get a bit more literal in that sense. A Toyota-backed Japanese startup called SkyDrive has demonstrated a new prototype of a small flying aircraft. So it's kind of like an air taxi, and uh, a growing number of companies developing these things. They're made for short hops around town, so... They're kind of giant drones, 
and they can carry between two and four passengers or possibly more. So this uh, SkyDrive just this last week had a demonstration flight and showing that uh, this technology is possibly ready to get off the ground pretty soon, if you excuse the pun. <laughs> I always excuse puns, Dennis. I built a whole career on them. But yeah, it sounds like pretty interesting tech. And um, I mean, who actually pilots this? Because you said that they're quite similar to drones. I mean, is it operated yeah. by somebody uh, inside the craft or is it externally controlled? The idea is to have them fully autonomous because, as you know, cars are also heading in that direction. Mm. So, uh, yeah, they're going to be electric and fully autonomous. But for now, the, the prototype that undertook the test drive had a uh, pilot on board uh, for safety reasons because fully autonomous tech isn't quite as developed as we'd like it to be yet. But uh, that is the direction where it's headed. So you're going to have a phone app or maybe a chip in your head by the time that these things are up and flying. And, uh, yeah, you'll, you'll book one and it'll arrive autonomously and it'll whip you off to your McDonald's drive through or wherever you want to go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A fly through. Exactly right. Well, yeah, I mean, things are going autonomous. I think it's just a matter of time. And actually, I think autonomous aircraft might actually be a little bit safer than autonomous cars, purely because there's less things to crash into. You know, I mean, you're not dealing with cyclists and pedestrians and uh roadside furniture and and all that kind of stuff so yeah it's all going to be interesting to see how it plays out within the near future skipping from aircraft back to cars and this i don't know if you saw dacia unveiled images yesterday of its new sendero and sendero stepway models and uh even though we don't get Dacia here, those vehicles will be rebranded and sold as renos probably next year and um they're pretty handsome looking cars i don't know what your thoughts are they are very good looking I'm seeing a little bit of sort of a VWT cross in that frontal styling. I don't know if you agree. But, uh, I totally that's agree. Only, yeah. Yeah, that's only a good thing because uh, the T-cross is an attractive vehicle. And uh, these Dacias, that's the, that's the way the Romanians pronounce it. They're, they're looking a lot better than the, the very first generation, Dacia Logan and, and Sendero, which was very sort of iron curtain and uh, low rent looking. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, they've come a long way. And what's nice, I mean, I was I was going through the press release yesterday. Dacia, or Dacia, I think I'm pronouncing it correctly, but probably incorrectly. They, they're still intent on offering simple, reliable vehicles, but obviously they've just um, amped up the styling a little bit more. You know, we, we, we've got a, a lower roof line, we've got a wider track, we've got wheels that sit flush to the bodywork and obviously the interior tech will get um, some tweaks as well. The full unveiling of the car is, is only set for the 29th of September so I guess we'll have to wait and see and hear all about what's going to be powering these cars, what kind of gearboxes we can expect but um, I think we can say that there's going to be a, a lot of uh, technology carry through and parts carry through from the Renault Clio 4. Um, you know the current generation Sandero models are obviously based on Clio 3. So one would expect that the next generation, the third generation, would have a lot of the fourth generation Clio bits and pieces in it. So, yeah, interesting to see what happens. Uh, the clock is ticking, Dennis. Is there anything else you want to squeeze in before uh, we go to a break? I thought that I would just mention that this weekend is the next round of the MotoGP Championship, and local fans can watch Brad Binder and the boys in action again at Masano in San Marino. And that's, that's this Sunday. So let's see if uh, Brad can possibly pull off another win or at least a podium finish. So, Dennis, is this the same circuit where the late, great Etten Senna met his demise? 
No, it isn't, Thomas. This is the Misano World Circuit. So that's a different track. Oh, I see. Okay. All right. Well, nevertheless, it's, it's bound to be a good one. Uh, we'll be rooting for Brad, as I'm sure most of you out there will be as well. And uh, yeah, let's hope that he can, he can score a few more points. And if not, another win. So something to look forward to this weekend. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we're going to be joined in the virtual studio by a special guest. So stay tuned for that. Join me, Nicole Engelbrecht, your host on True Crime South Africa, a weekly podcast that covers both solved and unsolved South African true crime cases. Welcome back to Cargumentative. In this segment of the show, we're joined in the virtual studio by the executive director of the motoring industry ombudsman of South Africa, Mr. Johan van Frieden. Johan, thanks so much for taking the time out of your schedule to talk to us all today. Yeah, thank you very much for the opportunity, Thomas. It's only a pleasure. As you said before, we love having guests on the show. It gives our listeners something, you know, interesting to listen to, apart from us going on about cars and car launches, all that kind of stuff. So adds a little bit of diversity. Now, um, before we go on, I just want to, you know, if you could tell our listeners a little bit more about who you are and what your role is at the MIO. Well, uh, the, the uh, MIO is an impartial organization that focuses on the resolution of disputes where a deadlock has been reached between the automotive and related industries and their customers to the benefit of both the parties. And our office make recommendations in cases referred to it where all the parties are unable to reach a mutually acceptable agreements when disputes arise. I hope that answers that question. Okay. Um, and keeping things on a consumer level, I mean, um, what does the MIO offer motorists on a, a broad-based thing? So, I mean, if I have a problem with a car, I mean, say I go to a, a dealership and I buy a new vehicle and there's a problem with the car um, and the dealership isn't sorting things out, can I then come to you guys directly and say, Johan, I've got this problem, I purchased this car um, and things aren't being sorted out. Is that something that you guys would handle? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, the best thing to do is first of all to contact our uh, uh, call center and you can contact the call center on 86 And normally that uh, the call center will advise the consumer on his rights and how to go about uh, uh, dealing with the problem that he has. Uh, alternatively, the consumer can also go to our website, which, which is www.mios4sugara.co.za, and um, all the information about the ombudsman is uh, on that website, including uh, forms to be filled in that can be used when a complaint uh, wants to be uh, registered with with uh, my office. So, Johan, is there anything that the MIO doesn't cover? Is it basically just new car sales, second-hand car sales, or is it everything that pertains uh, to the world of cars, motoring, wheels? 
Yeah, you know what? There, there are a number of uh, things that we cannot uh, get involved in. And uh, for instance, we won't uh, uh, get involved in a, in a dispute that falls within the mandate of another ombud, whether regulated or recognized by its industry. And then, of course, there's the, uh, when, when legal action has been instituted by either party, we won't uh, get involved. Uh, because then they are already, you know, we we we, do, we don't want people uh, forum shopping. So uh, when a prima facie, uh, it appears that there's been a criminal offence, then obviously we will not get involved. And where it appears from any statute of the Republic of South Africa that the MIO has no jurisdiction, of course, there we will also not get involved. And then last of uh, last but not least is when a complaint is lodged on the grounds of a delict claiming damages from the other party. Now, the Ombud cannot uh, uh, determine damages, financial damages, and therefore we won't get involved with that kind of dispute. Okay, well, that's good to know. Johan, I've been hogging the microphone for far too long. I'm going to pass you over to my colleague, Dennis Dropper, from Business Day Motor News. Thank you for joining us today. Are parties legally bound to abide by MIO rulings, or is it still voluntary? Yeah, Dennis, um, the, the MIO uh, is, is part of the South African Automotive Industry Code of Conduct. That is, uh, we are the custodians of the code, and the code was accredited by the Department of Trade and Industries in October 2014, and in accordance with Section 82 of the Consumer Protection Act, number 68 of 2008, uh, which we know as the CPA. And as such, the code became a regulation of the CPA, meaning that the industry was legally bound to abide by the code and therefore by the recommendations of the MIO. Well, it leads me on to my next question. How does a CPA factor into disputes then, particularly in terms of consumers wishing to return vehicles for a refund? Can you buy a car and say, oh, look, you know, I'm, I'm not really happy with the way the cigarette lighter works. I want to return it in a week. Uh, Dennis, you know, this is a very complicated question, but some of the most common answers uh, that I'll try and give is uh, the following. There is no cooling off period afforded to the consumer to cancel a, uh, a purchase on a whim unless the transaction was entered into as a result of, say, direct marketing, which is covered by Section 16, Subsection 3 of the Consumer Protection Act, and it states that a consumer may rescind a transaction resulting from any direct marketing without reason or penalty by notice to the supply in writing or another recorded manner or form within five business days after the later of the date on which A, the transaction or agreement was concluded, or B, the goods that were the subject of the transaction were delivered to the consumer. There is also, in terms of Section 56 of the Act, a consumer uh, may request the repair, the replacement, or a refund of the transaction in the event that the goods purchases within six months of the purchase failed to be um, in, in accordance with Section 55, a reasonable, reasonably suitable for the purpose in which they are intended. And of course, of good quality and good working order, and free of defects. Uh, Johan, what is the average split in rulings between consumer and dealer? Uh, does it the consumer win more or is it the dealer generally? Well, you know what? Um, in the beginning, it used to be very much in favor of the, uh, of the consumer. 
But uh, as uh, as time uh, goes by, went by, the, the boat industry spent an enormous amount of money in trade, and uh, of course that has changed the, 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 the scale a little bit in favour of the of the industry, and therefore the recommendations have now become uh, a more sixty forty uh, a split in favour of the industry. Yeah, thank, thanks, Johan. Now you're welcome. So, Johan, second question from uh, Bremen, who's also been hit by a technological gremlin today, um, is how long does the process take from complaint to action and outcome? You know, we are so uh, we are governed by the code. And of course, as everybody in the industry has to comply with the code uh, of conduct, so the, the, the ombud must also comply. And therefore, the, the, the code determines that a dispute must uh, be determined between or resolved between 30 days from the date that the MIO has received all the necessary documentation and information, which enables the MIO to make an informed decision regarding a complaint. It is sometimes a waiting game to collect all the necessary documentation from the parties. We sometimes don't have all the cooperation that is needed. And, uh, and of course, as the complexities of the complaints differ, it may take a little longer or shorter, depending on, 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 you know, on how long it takes to, to gather the information. But uh, I'm glad to say that we have been managing to stick within the parameters uh, by, uh, set by the code. Okay. Well, that's. I mean, I suppose as as things go these days, that's 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 pretty snappy, you know. Um, yeah. Considering what you guys have to do and what you have to get into and the entire process. Well, it also depends on the complexities of the complaints. You know, they differ from complaint to complaint, and sometimes it takes a little longer, or sometimes uh, much shorter. Of course, of course. Well, Johan, I've got one final question here from Brenwin, um, and he asks, what has the most severe sanction you've ever seen imposed on a dealer in a dispute? Well, that, that's a very interesting one, you know, and, uh, and, and that's a question I, I get quite often. Uh, but as a neutral third party to the dispute, the Ombud makes recommendations on how to resolve a dispute in terms of uh, a couple of principles. And the principles applied here are good engineering practice, good customer relations, the South African consumer law, and of course, uh, fairness. But we do not have authority to impose sanctions on dealers. A matter heard by the Ombudsman and the recommendation made in favor of a consumer uh, was not adhered to by, uh, by the guy, uh, by a dealer, and the consumer was advised to go uh, uh, to the National Consumer Commission, uh, and we advised the commission um, that this uh, complaint was serious enough to be escalated to the National Consumer Tribunal. And the, to be, the position taken by the National Consumer Tribunal, which uh, uh, accepted the investigation done by the Ombud, um, due to the number of factors, they, they made a judgment that included the, the, the dealer's conduct and they, they imposed a fine of 100,000 rand. Now, I don't know what actually happened to that dealer, whether they closed or whether they paid the fine or, or what, but normally a fine of that magnitude uh, uh, is, uh, uh, you know, is, has quite an impact on a, on a service provider. Okay, understood. Well, look, Johan, unfortunately, we are out of time. 
Um, it's been fascinating chatting to you and hearing all about uh, the MIO. And just again, in case our listeners missed it in the beginning of the show, uh, can you tell people how they can get hold of the motoring industry ombudsman if they so wish? Yes, I would suggest that the first point of contact would be our call center, telephone number 86 And then alternatively, another good way of getting in contact with the ombud is our website, www.miosa.co.za. And I hope that that, that, uh, will give consumers the, uh, they must have, uh, feel free to contact us at any time. And uh, I just wanted to say thank you very much for the opportunity to speak to you guys. Well, thank you, Johan. And uh, again, we apologize for the for the audio niggles, but uh, you know, that's just one of the things we have to live with working from the virtual studio these days. Ladies and gents, that was Johan van Feren, Executive Director of the Motoring Industry Ombudsman of South Africa. And that's it for the show, unfortunately. We are out of time, but be sure to join us again for another episode of Cargumentative. Until then, keep it safe out on your travels, and most of all, Keep it wheel. <laughs>